I hear you guys are doing exciting thing. You're going through the Gospel of Mark. And I must say, initially when I started studying the New Testament, um, like most people in church history, Mark was my least favorite gospel. Um, when you look at how much the early church people wrote about the different gospels, Matthew was the favorite and Mark was the least favorite. In fact, Mark was considered by many of the early church guys to be sort of a, a bad abbreviation of Matthew. They thought Matthew was the first gospel that was written and Mark was just sort of a bad abbreviation of, of, of Matthew. And um, my, my sort of favorite or, or the area in which I studied in, um, in the New Testament was Luke and Acts because I was especially interested in the Holy Spirit. So Luke and Acts was my favorite. Um, and then I started realizing that Luke used Mark as one of his sources. He says in the beginning of his gospel, Luke says that, you know, many have undertaken to write down an account of what happened in the life of Jesus. And when you compare Luke's gospel to Mark's gospel, you see that Mark was one of those gospels. And then as I started to study Mark's gospel, I realized that far from being a bad abbreviation of Matthew, Mark actually wrote his gospel first and Matthew copied independently from Luke, copied Mark's gospel. In fact, 80% of Mark's gospel is contained in Matthew's gospel. And I started to realize that Mark's gospel is much more rich and much more powerful than I realized. And he gets, um, he, he hadn't gotten enough credit. In fact, Mark, who was in the early church, according to the early church literature, was called stump fingers because he had short little stubby fingers. <laughs> <laughs> Can you believe that? Eh? Stump fingers. That was his nickname. Um, you would have thought the first guy to write a gospel would be called beautiful fingers or something, but no, he's called stump fingers. <laughs> and um, he, he invented the genre of gospel. And the other gospels actually copied him. And in, in recent years, Mark has been undergoing a bit of a uh, sort of a renaissance and, and people, uh, he's become sort of a bit of a superstar gospel because people realized it was the first gospel written and realized how powerful that is. Um, and the gospels didn't have headings, but church history, later the church gave headings and, and his is called uh, the gospel according to Mark. Not the gospel of Mark, but the gospel according to Mark because there's one gospel and it's written according to Mark, according to Matthew, according to Luke, according to John. But it's one gospel. And um, what we see in Mark's gospel, and we're going to see it this morning, is that Mark writes down certain events. Now, Mark was, was Peter, the Apostle Peter's translator. Uh, and he wrote his gospel, in my opinion, probably the early to middle 60s in Rome, just before or just after Peter was executed. And it was Peter's translator, so he translated that gospel probably dozens or even hundreds of times. And he eventually wrote it down in the form that we have it. But he chooses what to include and what to exclude. He, he, he records certain events not only because they actually happened, but because they also represent a deeper truth. And we're going to see that in, in, in what we're going to read this morning, that these are events that actually happened, that actually took place, historical events. But Mark chooses them and he, he puts them in a certain order to, 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 to show how they reveal deeper truths. And we need to understand those truths. In fact, Mark, the section we're going to read this morning, ends where, Mark asks, uh, where Jesus asks the disciples, do you still not understand? 
because they didn't see that deeper truth that Mark was trying to convey um, through his gospel. So I'm going to read from Mark 8, verse 1 to 21. Tonight I'm going to do verse 22 to 38, I think, the, the rest of the chapter. So um, let me maybe just take you quickly through, a, um, through the scripture. It says, In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me for three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. They will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. By the way, those of you, I mean, you guys have been reading Mark's gospel, so you'll know that this quite closely mirrors a previous event where he feeds the 5,000. And he asked them exactly the same question. When he said, you know, I want to feed these people, they said, it's not possible. And he said, how many loaves do you have? You know, so already probably they're like, uh, deja vu, you know, this has happened before, you know. <laughs> how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves he gave, uh, and, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up a bro uh, the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he went, and, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. And then the next section says, in verse 11, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. He sighed deep, deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to, the, uh, uh, to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, warned them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember then he broke the five, uh, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Mark tends to be subtle. 
like a good writer, he shows instead of telling. So you've got you to see the subtleties. Yeah, I just want to make three points, main points from, from this text. Notice that there's a contrast here. First, Jesus gives to the crowds without being asked. Then he refuses to give to the Pharisees, even though he is asked. And then he warns his disciples. Okay, so let's look at this. This passage records an event, a miracle that actually happened. Now, think about this. In those days, they didn't have MSG and preservatives and stuff. So if they were walking around the desert following Jesus, listening to his teaching, the amount of food that you can carry, perishable food, I mean, they didn't have canned food and that kind of stuff like we have today, okay? They didn't have fridges and cooler bags and all kinds of stuff. So the amount of perishable food that you could carry with you would last you probably a maximum of three days. So they've been walking around, they had food. So it's not like, you know, when Jesus did the miracle, all of a sudden they started being generous and brought out the food. The food was finished. After three days of walking in the desert, your food's going to be finished in those days. Okay? Because you can only carry so much with you, and it's, it's perishable. It doesn't have preservatives, it doesn't last that long. So we see a real miracle happening here. They have seven loaves left. And Jesus takes those loaves and he multiplies them. Now, I want you to notice that the fact that they were still with Jesus after three days, after their food has run out, they're still there with him, shows you how desperate and hungry they are for him. Okay? And that gives us a clue to why Jesus is so eager to provide for them and to take care of them. And notice what it says. Jesus says to the disciples, I have compassion on them. I want to feed them lest they faint along the way. Now, just by the way, um, there's a lot going on here, but the way in, in Mark's gospel, like in many other places in the New Testament, represents the way of discipleship, the way of following Jesus. In fact, in the book of Acts, Christianity is called the way. In the beginning of Mark's gospel, he says, prepare the way of the Lord. And you'll see through Mark's gospel this, this theme of the way. Okay? So Jesus has compassion. When you're walking on the way, Jesus knows it's difficult. That's, you see, that's the deeper meaning here. The miracle actually happened, so we're not discounting that. That really happened. It's a real miracle. But there's a deeper meaning to it, and it shows us that Jesus has compassion on us as we walk on the way, as we follow him, as we sacrifice to be with him. He knows it's not easy. He knows it's difficult. He has compassion on us, and he wants to feed us and take care of us lest we faint or collapse along the way. Jesus has more compassion on you than you realize. Jesus has more compassion on you than you realize. He knows the way that you're walking to follow him is not easy. Sometimes he goes through the desert and we have to follow him. He knows it's difficult. He knows it's challenging. He knows there's resistance. He knows there are attacks. He knows our resources run out. He knows our strength runs out. And he has compassion on us. He has compassion on us. Do you realize how much compassion Jesus has on you this morning? Because of the difficult way that you're walking. Jesus knows. And he feels. 
He feels for you. Now, what Jesus does then is, uh, I just want to highlight these, there are like four verbs that it uses. It says, Jesus took the bread, he gave thanks, and for the fish he blessed it, he gave thanks and blessed, then he broke it, and then he gave it. And, and it gives such a beautiful pattern of how Jesus works. Now, just a clue. If you're in small group, if you're amongst your friends, if you're in your family, we're all disciples, therefore we're all ministers. We're a kingdom of priests. Christianity is not a kingdom with priests, it's a kingdom of priests. Okay, that's very important. Okay, every other religion is a kingdom with priests or a, a, a religion with priests that connect the people with God. Christianity is the only religion that is a kingdom of priests. Every one of us connects people with God. Every member is a minister with a priesthood of all believers. We believe very strongly in that in Shofar. Okay, now. When you're with your family, your friends, in your small group or so, and you want to fulfill that priestly function and minister to people. This is how you minister. Don't give to people. <laughs> give to Jesus. Let Jesus take it, bless it, break it, multiply it, and give it to the people around you. Because if you give it to Jesus, he'll always receive it from you. If you give it to people, they might not always receive it and you might feel rejected and offended and hurt. If you give it to people, it might be just enough. Seven loaves can feed seven or maybe 14 people. But if you give it to Jesus, the little bit that you give will be more than enough because Jesus will take it, he will bless it, he will break it, and by the time he gives it, to the people in your small group, in your family, amongst your friends. By the time he gives it, it'll be more than enough. So, I want you to notice here. Sorry, I haven't been watching the time. I want you to notice here that Jesus does to the bread what he intends to do to himself on the cross. Jesus is not just the sacrifice, he's the priest, the high priest that makes the sacrifice and he intends to break himself on the cross and give himself to us. In other words, when Jesus gives to us, it costs him so, so much and yet in his compassion, he gives himself to us. Jesus fed the crowd without being asked because he had compassion on them. And he came at great cost to himself to break himself and feed us. And yet, no one had compassion on him. So Jesus gives to the crowds. Jesus doesn't give in contrast to the Pharisees. So the crowds don't ask him and yet he gives to them. Because they're desperate for him. They're needy. They're hungry for him. They stay with him. The Pharisees, in contrast, they come and, and it says 
in verse 11, they came and began to argue. So from the beginning, I mean, they haven't even experienced him. <laughs> These are the local Pharisees. I mean, he's had problems with the Pharisees wherever he's gone. These are the local Pharisees now coming to him. So they never met him or so, but they immediately start arguing with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And his response is he sighs deeply in his spirit. He says, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly no sign will be given this generation. And he left them. And, and we see three things happening here. They tested Jesus. They tired Jesus out. And they lost Jesus. You see, where the, the crowd represents how we should respond to Jesus, the Pharisees represent how we should not respond to Jesus. Okay? They come and immediately they, they, they argumentative. They're testing him. They, 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 they're negative. They're resistant. They're, unre they're not only unreceptive, they're resistant. It says already in Mark 3 verse 6 that they were plotting together with the Herodians how to kill him. The Pharisees. And these are the religious people. Jesus does this feeding of the 4,000 on the other side of the Sea of Tiberias, on the east side. In other words, in Gentile country, in the Decapolis. You'll see that if you read the context. And the Gentiles are more receptive than the religious crowd, the Pharisees. Their hearts are hardened. They are proud. They come and they are immediately resistant to Jesus. You see, you can either test Jesus or you can trust him, but you cannot do both. You can test Jesus or you can trust him, but you cannot do both. And we have to decide, are we going to be like the crowd that trusts him or are we going to be like the Pharisees that test him? They were hard-hearted. They, they, they came with hard-hearted pride, seeking a reason to reject him. In, in fact, um, they say a sign from heaven. And, 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 and they don't use the word miracle. They use the word sign. And they specifically say from heaven. And what they're thinking of is that they, they, were, they consider themselves disciples of Moses and the law. And, and they were saying Moses gave manna from heaven as, as a sign from heaven that it was from God. And if you think you can trump Moses, you've got to do a song and a dance for us. You've you got you to show us something, a sign from heaven. And in their prideful resistance and hard-heartedness towards Jesus, they missed the sign that was already there because the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000 was already Jesus showing a sign from heaven, providing bread, an analogy to the manna in the desert, showing that one greater than Moses was here. Jesus' response to their hard-heartedness, their, their resistant pride is, he sighs, and you can almost, once again, Mark shows it. He doesn't tell it. He just shows Jesus sighing deeply. He's, he's troubled. He's wearied. He's, he's, he's annoyed at their hard-heartedness. He's like, this tires me out. I don't know if you've ever ministered to people who are receptive. It energizes you. It's like, yes, you can just go and go and go. But trying to minister to people who are unreceptive, who are hard-hearted and resistant, it wears you out. Because you constantly feel like you have to fight. And, and that was what Jesus. So they first tested him. Then they tired him. Um, he says this generation. In other words, the Pharisees just represent a generation that are resistant and hard-hearted. Um, a generation that tests him, wears him out. 
And then they lost Jesus. You see, in, the, uh, in verse 10, it says, Jesus departed. And then it says, where he went to? He went to the region of Dalmanutha. Here it says, Jesus left them. Do you notice that little subtle change in how Mark tells it? He doesn't say where Jesus went to. He said, whom he went from. He left them. Their hard-hearted, proudful, resistant attitude towards him says, I'm rather leaving. I'm going. How not to respond to Jesus. So, Jesus had compassion and gave to the eager, needy crowd, but he was worried by and refused to give to the resistant, proud Pharisees. Now, Jesus warns his disciples in the, in the last section. Now, as it often happens, Jesus' disciples misunderstand him. They don't quite get what was going on here either. Now, I just want to mention this, just in case there's someone here who's still deciding whether they want to become a Christian or not. Maybe someone invited you, you came to visit, and you, you're not sure, can I trust this, you know, this Mark Stumpfinger guy, you know, and he says he's an eyewitness, and he wrote down Peter's eyewitness account, but can I trust it? I mean, look what, what he records here. He records Peter, whose account this is that Mark wrote down, and the other disciples looking like a bunch of buffoons, and knuckleheads who don't get what Jesus is about. I mean, if, the, this, if you were inventing a religion like many people say the Gospels are, you know, the, the disciples inventing a religion, are you going to write down something that makes you look so bad? <laughs> that makes you, the guys writing it down, look like a bunch of idiots? <laughs> it's called in, in, in scholarly circles the criteria of embarrassment. <laughs> what they wrote down here embarrasses them. They would not have written it down unless it were true. <laughs> Okay? You can trust this. This rings true as eyewitness testimony. Now, what Jesus was saying to them, and what Jesus was showing them, he feeds the 5,000. How many baskets fulls are left? He asked them. Twelve. Okay? Then he feeds the 4,000. And, and those, those 5,000, by the way, were, was in Israel. Okay? Then he feeds the 4,000 in Gentile country, in the Decapolis. How many baskets fulls are left over? How many tribes are in Israel? How many nations did God displace out of Israel to give the promised land to Israel? Seven. Can, can you see what's going on here? Can you see what Mark is saying through the sign? He's saying a, a few things, but, but two of the things he's saying is <laughs> Jesus' ability to give is never the limiting factor. It's always our ability to receive. And when Jesus gives, he gives enough for Israel with 12 baskets representing the 12 tribes left over. More than enough for Israel. Then he gives to the Gentiles in the Decapolis with seven basketfuls representing the seven Gentile nations. More than enough left over. Jesus is always more than enough. He's more than enough for your needs. He's more than enough for your weakness. He's more than enough for the people around you. He's more than enough for your family, your friends. He's more than enough for the Jews and the Gentiles. He's more than enough for anyone. Do we minister with that confidence that Jesus is more than enough? For everyone, He's more than enough. He's the bread from heaven. And you can eat and be satisfied, like Mark says. And the people around you can eat and be satisfied. 
Okay, I'm running out of time. Um, the leaven is the resistant, hypocritical pride of the Pharisees. Mark talk, uh, Matthew talks about the teaching of the Pharisees and the scribes. Luke talks about the hypocrisy. In, in the context here, Mark is representing all of that, but, but the pride specifically of the Pharisees that makes them resistant to him. And we must beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. That leaven of coming to Jesus to test him out of pride rather than trust him out of our need. And the problem with leaven is leaven spreads. That attitude of resisting Jesus, of not wanting to receive from him, wanting to test him, of saying, you, do, you come onto my stage and do a song and a dance for me. That prideful resistance to Jesus, it spreads. It spreads to every area of your life and it spreads to the people around you. We... Jesus always is more than enough to satisfy us and those around us. The limiting factor is never Jesus' ability to give, but always our ability to receive. How is your ability to receive? How, do you have leaven that is preventing you from receiving? That you need to deal with? That you need to give to the Lord and say, Lord, take away this leaven. Cleanse me from this leaven. Strip this leaven away. That's what they had to do at Passover, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They had to remove all leaven from their houses so that they could receive the Passover lamb. We, likewise, must remove all leaven. Leaven puffs up bread. When you put leaven in bread and bake the bread, it puffs it up. That's why it represents pride. We must get all, rid of all leaven so that we can receive the Passover lamb. So will we proudly resist Jesus, or will we humbly receive Jesus and allow him? Will we eat from him and be satisfied? Will we allow him to fill us? And in his more than enoughness, meet the need, our needs and the needs of the people around us. Let's stand. See, we, we live in a a world of leaven and that leaven spreads to us so I want to ask you just close your eyes right there where you are just close your eyes and maybe just lift up your hands just in a gesture of surrender and reception just receiving from the Lord and just any, any leaven that you detect in your heart just confess it to the Lord and say Lord please remove it Lord I repent of this leaven just remove it from me. Any, anything that makes me hesitate to receive from you. Anything that, that makes me want to ignore the miracles that you've already done and not see them, to be blind to them. Because the Lord has done miracles in your life, make no mistake. He has done many miracles in your life. He has provided for you again and again. More than enough so that you could eat and be satisfied and have basketfuls left over so just ask him to take that leaven just say Lord I repent of that leaven just take it out of my heart that hard heartedness just remove it just strip it away Lord I'm going to ask the um, ministry facilitators if they can just hand out the elements of the communion just hand it out
Jesus specifically uses the sense of taste to reveal himself to us. Because when I see something, I can see this bread, and I know how it looks, but it doesn't become part of me. If I break it, I can hear it, but it still doesn't become part of me. I can touch it and feel it, but it still doesn't become part of me. I can smell it, but it still doesn't become part of me. But when I eat it, what I eat becomes part of me. And that's why Jesus says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Eat of me and be satisfied. Eat of me and be satisfied. And that's what the Lord wants us to do this morning. To eat of him and be satisfied. Because he is more than enough for our every need. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for this bread representing your body which you broke for us. <clears throat> you broke it. You took it as the great high priest. You, you broke it. You blessed it. You broke it. And you gave it to us. You multiplied it to us. And not only to us, but to all the Jews and all the Gentiles in all the world. You multiplied it to be more than enough for everyone. Thank you, Jesus. We receive you as the bread of life. Let's eat together. <clears throat> Jesus, we thank you for this cup which represents your shed blood, the blood of the new covenant. Thank you that it washes our sins away. Thank you that it cleanses us. Lord, we... <clears throat> we just bring all the leaven that we've confessed. The sin that so easily infiltrates and creeps into our lives and spreads in our lives. We just bring it all to you and we pray that you'll wash it away with your precious blood. Thank you that you died to cleanse us and to make us your own. We receive your love. We receive your forgiveness. We receive your cleansing. In Jesus' name, let's drink together. If you're here this morning and <clears throat> you may be realizing for the first time that this, these gospels, this gospel of Mark and the other eyewitness testimonies in the gospels, maybe you're realizing for the first time it's really true. It's not just nice little stories. Yes, they are. They are nice stories. They're, they're powerful stories, but they're not untrue stories. They're true stories. They really happened. And maybe you're realizing it for the first time this morning. And maybe you're realizing for the first time how much compassion Jesus has on you. How much it cost him to take care of you, to provide for you, to make a way for you. The way, the way of discipleship, the way of salvation. To make a way for you to get to the Father, to heaven. And maybe you're wanting to respond and say, that Jesus, I want him as my Lord and Savior. If that's you this morning, I just want you to put up your hand and say, that's me. I need to respond to this good news that Jesus has so much compassion on me, so much love for me. If that's you, just put up your hand nice and high.
Thanks. If you, I, I didn't see any hands clearly, but um, if you put up your hand, um, just bring your stuff with you, your Bible, your handbag, whatever you have, and I just, I, I'd just like to pray with you. So just, just, just step out and come forward, and um, I'd like to pray with you and for you. Um, for the rest of you, I'm going to, is it okay, um, Amor, if I dismiss the service? Um, I'm going to dismiss the service and just bless you. Um, you see, we represent Jesus' body, which was broken. So as you, we are the church as we gather, and we are the church as we scatter. This building is not the church. This meeting is not the church. We are the church. We are the church when we gather, and we are the church when we scatter. Thank you, Jesus, that you take us, and you bless us, and you break us, and you give us to the world. And we pray, Lord, that we will go out as a kingdom of priests, and that through us you'll satisfy this world in Jesus' name. The Lord bless you.